Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. My guest this week is Nicolette of Bookpunks, a speculative fiction blog that's been running for a bit over a year now. Nicolette's ongoing project, A Thousand Ways to End the World, chronicles the many post-apocalyptic books that she's reading. Let's start maybe with just a bit of your history with the genre and how you decided to start Bookpunks, and then we can go from there. Oh, geez. We're going to be here for a lot longer than a half an hour then (laughs) with just those two questions. I guess as a kid, I was really into horror and mystery, actually, more than fantasy at first. I was, uh, Edgar Allan Poe was an early favorite of mine as a little kid. In the, in the third grade, we were supposed to memorize a poem for class, and I was like, I'm memorizing the raven, except I didn't know as a little kid how long that poem was, <laughs> and then I was like, I didn't manage it, but uh, I can still recite the first four verses. Anyway. <laughs> My mom made me do that one in junior high. and Yeah. yeah. The whole thing? Once, Yes, the whole, the whole thing. Once Upon a Midnight Dreary. And I can also do about the first four verses. I, I guess we're talking about like seven or eight year old me, maybe. Uh, and I read all the Nancy Drew books that my mom had and Hardy Boys and then those awful Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein books. I don't know if you ever read any of <laughs> No, I Goosebumps actually didn't come out until I was already kind of too old for them. Um, oh, so, so earlier stuff. These were, yeah, just his regular teen whatever. Okay. <laughs> Um, I guess my first fantasy exposure and science fiction exposure, well, my mom really liked Star Trek, and so we always were watching Star Trek and Star Wars and all that stuff. And every time we went on a road trip anywhere, my dad always put on the audiobook of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. So I've listened to those, I don't know, <laughs> it feels like hundreds of times, but dozens of times. Uh, that was very early. The The Wizard of Earthsea books were also pretty early for me. Dealing with Dragons by Patricia C. Reed. And one that really stuck with me, The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. I don't know I how well known it is. I've heard of that one. It was written at the end of the 1800s, so yeah. it's pretty pretty old one but it's got this really cool concept where this girl like follows this invisible string to like these adventures i don't know it, that was one that really stuck with me okay so those were the the early early beginnings and i was trying to think all morning what my first science fiction book ever was and i have no idea <laughs> it just kind of seeped in at some point I guess it must have, uh, maybe mainly through TV, but my my first conscious memory of really getting into science fiction wasn't until college, though I must have been reading it before then. Were all of the, the other early fantasy ones primarily audiobooks in car rides, or were there other... That was just Lord of the Rings. Okay. Everything else was paper. And as a kid, I was really into paper books. Like, I would right. play library and make library cards and pretend to loan my books to imaginary people and whatever. Yeah. Not that much has changed. (laughs) Except now I loan my books to real people. (laughs) Do do you have to be, do you have rules about which ones you'll loan out and which ones you will make sure you keep? Um, I don't usually like to loan out the signed ones, but I usually like get a separate book if I'm going to get it signed. And otherwise, I'm pretty into loaning books out. I always, you know, threaten people with death if they don't return them, but... <laughs> I, I think I have at least four or five that I have 
borrowed from someone and not returned, which is probably about the same amount that I've loaned out and never seen again. Yeah, but if you still know where they are, you just you just haven't returned them yet, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's potentially true, although I think the one that I borrowed in high school, like, <laughs> the odds of that one making it back to its former owner are pretty slim. Yeah, I guess once you... <laughs> Maybe no longer regularly see the person anymore. It's kind of out of the question. Yeah, once I've left the state, that kind of takes the odds down a little bit. Sometime in college, you first discovered science fiction, or at least first consciously remember discovering science fiction. Yeah, I well, I did. I was definitely into it before because I I took a class in college on science fiction. I was thrilled that someone was actually offering that class, and I know I took it because I was already interested in the subject, but that was wonderful. That was the first time I ever read Neuromancer, for example, um, okay. in my college science fiction course. <laughs> and I don't remember what else we read there. We, I can't imagine that we didn't read any Philip K. Dick, but maybe, maybe we didn't. But I was really into Philip K. Dick in college. I'm still pretty into him, though. I haven't done a reread in a while. Of his stuff. He's one of the authors who I'm trying to read all their books, but he's written so many books and a good proportion of them are pretty <laughs> So <laughs> it's sometimes a slog to get through. But actually, another thing that I'm, I'm really into and that sort of plays into my taste in science fiction is magical realism, which I guess I definitely discovered in college via a number of courses. One that I took with with BookPunk's co-editor, Erica, uh, The Fantastic in Literature, where I first read Neil Gaiman in that course. We read The Sandman and uh, Cortazar and Borges and all those awesome guys. And I, I just really like when fiction is able to blend the borders between the what's going on on the page and what's going on off the page. So you're like, am I in the story? Oh my god, <laughs> the killer's coming me. Like when a book can do that, uh, best thing ever. So what are some of your favorite titles out of science fiction fantasy magical realism just I'm, I'm thinking in part because i started this at the very beginning and i thought to myself very naively oh yeah i'm sure lots of people had the exact same way in that i did and it was secondary world fantasy and they read primarily within the genre and i'm i'm listening to mm -hmm. what you're talking about and especially it sounds like the authors that you're resonating with and they feel a little bit more literary at least some of them and also like the authors that really resonated with you were a, a broader mix than just what i have gotten used to it so i'm just curious what what are some of the authors and titles you've particularly enjoyed or keep coming back to one that i just read for the first time this month but that i have to mention immediately because it, it does all those things that i said i really like is uh jeff vandermeer's city of saints and madmen that book is so good i just can't i'm like ready to read it again again immediately and i just finished it like two weeks ago <laughs> and it does all the things that i love about cortazar cortazar wrote my favorite short story of all time which is um in a collection called all fires the fire and the story is called the continuity of parks and it's like a page and a half long and it's just mind-blowing <laughs> okay I think one of the things that I really like, too, and that maybe is the reason some of the things I'm mentioning are sort of literary, I'm making 
air quotes because I kind of hate that word or that wall is because I really like things that are experimentally structured or just like I really like things that are really weird but also weird structurally or weird in some way beyond the the creatures in them I guess like Cortazar wrote this book that I've never managed to finish unfortunately because the concept is cool and I'd like to see how it works but he wrote this book called Hopscotch that you read it first like a normal book from front to back and then he has this list of the chapter numbers and you can read them in a different order and it's this whole different story and I just think like ideas like that get really excited about the possibilities of fiction so I I guess that's why I kind of dabble in that direction okay frequently I mean I also have a degree in English literature so so yours stood you in slightly better instead than my comparative literature that I kind of cobbled together well, I thought you studied epic. I, I just listened to your very first podcast episode. You studied epic poetry, I hear. <laughs> I, so, yeah, I did. I followed a couple of professors around, and uh, one of them taught a lot of Renaissance and medieval epic poetry. I walked into the classroom with this professor who was teaching Tasso's Jerusalem Delivered, and he pulled out some index cards and started reading the, I think, like, 14th century Italian and just free mm-hmm. translating it and just went off on this lecture about Jerusalem Delivered and how it worked and what was going on with epic poetry, in particular the introduction. And basically I was hooked. And cool. so, yeah, I studied, I, I took his classes. He actually taught a science fiction and fantasy class later. Medieval medieval saints were, were kind of my thing and Old English because Tolkien. <laughs> I was going to be a college professor. And then I figured out my senior year that you were supposed to take languages and actually be able to read and speak French and German and Old English and Latin. And then then I realized (laughs) I was not going to be a college professor. (laughs) But wait, there's more things that I want to recommend (laughs) or say about being awesome that occurred to me while you were speaking. (laughs) I want to say like 16 things at once. First of all, have you read Dark Star by Oliver Langmead? It's epic poetry, but it's published this year and it's science fiction okay great but i would really like to hear the opinion of someone who knows something about epic poetry about it because i was just like whoa i'm enjoying epic poetry this is unprecedented Uh oh. well i will have to uh, okay i'll have to look that one up i also okay this author is not at all science fictional but he i feel like he is a science fictional person but his writing is not science fictional and that's uh he's a portuguese author called fernando pessoa and he wrote some poetry and some weird poetic prose and literary whatever but the cool thing about fernando pessoa well his writing is cool i don't mean to say that it's not but the coolest thing about him is that he wrote under a lot of different names um and he like started a whole literary movement by having these fictional people talk to each other in publications like in literary journals and he just he like puppeted these fictional people but in the real world and made things happen in the real world through it that's fantastic so cool (laughs) his biography is kind of more interesting to me than his work even though i appreciate his work as well but (laughs) he's the coolest i'm thinking of a trying to remember the title it was a very academic book that i got from my parents with a bright red cover don't remember mm-hmm. the exact title, but it was a Marxist analysis of ancient Greece. And apparently, famously, sometime after it came out, the guy pseudonymously wrote a review and submitted it to a fancy journal 
basically trashing it and, and tearing apart his own his own book. <laughs> Do you want to tell me a little bit about post-apocalyptic? Because I have read not much of that. I read Station Eleven, and I think before that it was The Passage, and before that it was Canticle for Leibowitz. And I'm sure that the genre is slightly bigger than those three books. Uh, of course. Well... What do you want to know about it? Should I define it? Should I start telling you about the awesomest books in it? Uh, yeah, tell me your... what, what's what's appealing to you. It seems like a, an area that you keep returning to and going back to and trying to devour as much of as you can. Yeah, well, I've set, I've set myself the goal of reading all the apocalypses ever written, and it's it's just big enough of a genre to be daunting and repetitive, but just small enough that it's actually realistic that I might manage to read all okay. of them before I um, <laughs> But I think one of the things I find so interesting about it is the question, why the f*** do I find this so interesting? <laughs> because it's really kind of, and not just me, it, it's very popular right now, and it seems to have had a number of spikes in popularity throughout history, which my theory is is related to, you know, historical moments and the fears that come with that. Like, we've got climate change that we're worrying about on the non-fictional side, <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know so a lot of books are addressing those fears and thoughts and there were a lot of post-apocalyptic books that came out during the cold war you know to deal with all of the nuclear fear and whatever but well, i don't know i guess i also i'm like a, a capital r romantic and i really like like romantic ruins and stuff like that and sort of the i sometimes find ruins more beautiful than than just pristine nature, so to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess I like I like the aesthetic. There's a lot of good stories to be told uh, with an end times backup. The best end time stories aren't actually really about the end of the world. There, <laughs> they use it as a backdrop or whatever, but they have a, a story that drives it. I'm far enough into this project now that I'm just really sick and tired of the post-apocalyptic books where the whole question is what has happened to this world because it's like well you all know what happened to it you're withholding this information (laughs) from me in order to create artificial tension and it's annoying right so i did notice with with station 11 that a lot of what was going on there was let's get 20 years past the apocalypse and see what's happening afterwards and then see how that reflects back it seemed on on the current like our current time is is that a Mm. a recurring theme among post-apocalyptic like something sparks this project (laughs) well really the narcissistic question why do i like this so much and uh (laughs) wanting to understand that wanting to see what people did with it also i mean i personally find myself uh frustrated with the world quite often and uh fantasizing about an easy clean slate so to say you know it's it's an escapist fantasy for the frustrations of, you know, what you can't change about the world. Of course, that can get really unhealthy when it's like the dude bro, white, militant, scary people who are collecting guns in the backwoods of America who really exist and who are the stars of far too many of these books as well. But what you mentioned from Station Eleven, you know, looking however many years past the end of the world to what might be built yeah that that comes up in 
most post-apocalyptic stories, particularly the the conflict between people who were born afterwards and people who were there before who, like, can't stop dwelling in their n- nostalgia and how the kids are, don't even know what they're talking about and, and don't know what they're, you know, missing. Just kind of the uh, resilience of humans to adapt, particularly okay. to whatever they're born into. I just, I like survival stories, too, you know. I, as a kid, enjoyed all those, like, God... What was there? Like Island of the Blue Dolphins and My oh, Side Yeah, and My just, Side of the Mountain and The Far Side yeah. of the Mountain. Yeah. Yeah, so they're like just like survival in the woods is always I've always found it interesting or just like learning about all that stuff. So that plays into it into it too. I'm curious, how how did you find the the passage that's I haven't read that one of the three you listed? So that was an audible credit and Mm-hmm. I listened off and on, and there were times where I was listening pretty steadily, and there were times where, like, I would go a couple weeks, and I had enough podcasts to keep me going. Um, <laughs> I, I really liked it, and I, mm-hmm. I think part of it is that it's 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 kind of a vampire story, but it's a, fa- a fairly interesting set of vampires and the mystery of the couple, like how how this world got created, and the question of whether it seems that the apocalypse has not actually descended everywhere and it remains mostly with America. Okay. Um, and that some sort of civilization is, is reasserting itself elsewhere. There, there are some hints of that. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot, but it was, it was very far from anything I, anything else I was reading and I was absorbed. Like it was one of the first audiobooks that I read. And so there was much, like I was just kind of, it's a different way of, in, of, getting the story and while i liked it a lot it was still it didn't quite fit with my mental model of how books work okay um so so it was kind of hard to say like how much of what is a little bit disorienting and different about this is just that it's an audiobook and i i listen to things differently than i than i read them yeah no i i mean i i highly recommend it i really 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 liked it and i thought it was was interesting vampires i didn't realize it was vampires i thought it was zombies which is why i haven't why it's just why i've put it off because i tend to stay away from the zombies i so there's there's a little bit of both but the the masterminds are are closer to vampires yeah no i I, and and i mean like there's this i don't think i would be spoiling anything or very much by saying like there's this city where they have to keep the lights on all the time um, okay. Because the the monsters that that take over, um, I mean they you know they can't handle the light, but when they come out in darkness, they're really fast and and really deadly. And so, like, there's this one, presumably the last surviving bastion, at least in the area, that they have to keep their lights on all the time. They have to keep a generator running, and like they took a bunch of the kids there. And so it's the guards and the kids as the kids are growing up. Yeah, it was, it was scary, which also I don't read a lot of. Like, I tend to stay away from horror as much <laughs> as possible. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you what you thought about uh, Libowitz. It's been a while since I've read it, but I remember really enjoying it. But then I, I, I took in my following professors around one of one of the other professors i really liked did a class on monasticism and so the notion of monks out in the desert and mm-hmm. i really like when it seems like authors are actually trying to engage with religion and religious responses to things and so that aspect of um mechanical 
Flyboits I really like. Um, cool. Yeah. So you seem to go on sort of reading projects and binges, and this reading all the apocalypse is, is definitely one of them, but you also, you're currently working your way through Mieville and yep. also Dick. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, I guess I have a running list of uh, authors who I'm trying to read all of their their books. I ha I'd i finally read all of Tom Robbins' books. He's not a speculative fiction author, but he's great. Um, uh, and then he brought out a, a biography, an autobiography, so I'm <laughs> missing one. But, <laughs> I, well, I guess I just, first of all, when I find an author who does something I really like, I, I want to see what else they're capable of doing um, and see if, you know, they've written other things that I really like. It's just, it's just kind of like a logical place for me anyway to continue my my reading. But also I love, once I've read all the books that someone has put out, to just sort of see how an author's style can change and develop over the years or, like, it's just fascinating to be able to actually look at the big picture like that and uh, it's it's hard to achieve for a lot of authors especially prolific ones <laughs> but um it's fascinating i just finished mieville's uh kraken this morning thank god because it it's not my favorite book of his i have to say <laughs> and it, i was ready for it to end <laughs> but at the same time it's fascinating because i don't know i guess i've read uh, how many books is he? I must have read seven or eight of his books at this point, and um, you know, you can see like little pieces of ideas he's had elsewhere, like blossoming into other things and different worlds, and that's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Okay. And that, now I'm starting to try to go after Jeff Vandermeer's life work because I've so enjoyed all the books of his that I've read. Annihilation um, is going to be my first. Sometime soon. Oh yeah, okay. That was also my first of his, and I really liked the Southern Reach. It mm -hmm. didn't blow my mind the way that the City of Saints and Mad Men did, but uh, I was really, really into that trilogy too. Um, I'll be interested to hear what you say about it. It seems to people either seem to love it or be like, oh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I have noticed a lot of just a number of books recently that I've started and had trouble with early on. And then most of them kind of come together sooner or later. I noticed with Uprooted that I was just, I'm so programmed to be reading the guy and the big mystery. And mm -hmm. it's kind of telling the story around that. Mm -hmm. And I actually had to just stop and restart because I was reading for that and was not at all interested in the main character and her story and what was going on. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, this is kind of boring. Can we get back to, you know, the wizard in the tower who's doing the cool things? And, and somewhere along the way, I figured out the reason I was not connecting with it was that I was I was trying to read the wrong story. Interesting. That one's on my list, too. It seems to... That's definitely on the list of most hype books of the year already, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, that one seems to be floating around. And you have, it seems like, started experimenting with tweeting as you are as you are reading and engaging with the books that way. Um, <laughs> it, it's a relatively new project for you, right? Well, I wouldn't call it a project. I would call it, I can't shut up and no one is in the room with me or slash the people in the room with me while I'm reading don't give a about, you know, oh my God, this line is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I just tweet it, hoping that 
if someone is interested, then maybe I'll get to have a conversation about it. And if not, it's also a nice way of sort of taking notes <laughs> so that yeah. I can talk myself later. Because I, I, I never really took took notes while I was reading, but I have found myself more and more tweeting along as I'm reading books. And it is definitely, I'm. sometimes I think it, it kind of knocks me out of my engagement with the book, but mm -hmm. especially when I'm consciously saying to myself, okay, I'm going to be tweeting along on this one. Um, but See, I don't I consciously say that. It just, I'll come to a line and be like, I gotta tell somebody about this. <laughs> and then, you know, if no one's in the room, right. <laughs> Twitter's pretty much the only option. <laughs> I was so bad because I'm like, that does look really interesting, and I've heard good things about, but yeah. I've, I've never don't read really it. I expect a lot of people, it's pretty hit or miss, because, you know, you're reading this specific book and are interested in this specific thing, so you know, who knows if it's going to resonate with someone who also happens to have read that book or whatever, but, you know, Twitter is all about just kind of yelling into the void, so <laughs> run with it. And then every once in a while, something yells back. Yeah, it's nice. and I've yeah. it, because I've done that. I've had some really nice conversations. Um, I always uh, hassle uh, Chris uh, Admiral Ironbomb, as he's known on Twitter, because I know he's read the Mielvilles that I've been reading. So I'm always like, "Oh, dear, what about this part? <laughs> what do you mm -hmm. think about this?" So you know, the li live tweeting of reading is uh, I found quite enjoyable. I only actually joined Twitter once I discovered how many book people were on there, and like, I don't I you know, basically only joined Twitter because I wanted to talk about books right. <laughs> more with more people because it's not really a, a medium that makes a lot of intuitive sense to me, this Twitter. I'm always fascinated to hear what people think about physical books versus digital books versus other formats and, and how much yeah. they're attached to that. I will send you a link to the many-worded essay that I wrote about this, but my main thought is that there's room in the world for both of them. I really, really like physical books because I think they're pretty and nice to look at, and, you know, I, I like the experience of holding it in my hand and blah, 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 all that other the book fetishists always say is true of me, too. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's a lot of really awesome stuff about digital books, you know? I love that I have like 50 books with me at all times because I use my phone as my reader. I don't have a separate reader, e-reader. Yeah. Um, and that's awesome. And it does kind of irritate me that my my notes that I make in my digital books don't like, if I take them off of my phone, they're just gone forever. I don't know um, if there's, I hope that eventually there's some technology that makes that a little bit easier to keep your notes on your books. But um I think they're both awesome, digital books and paper books, and I don't think either of them should disappear or will disappear. Yeah, my, my biggest problem with them is that I enjoy fiddling with bookshelves. Each episode closes with a memory of a significant book, the right book at the right time, an interesting find, or just something that stuck around. I, see, I guess I've read a lot of really, really awesome books this year that makes this question hard to answer, because I immediately want to start talking about City of Saints and Mad Men again, but I'm not going to repeat myself. <laughs> and another book I read this year that just totally blew me away was The Fictional Man by Al Ewing. And I got a bunch of books at my, my very first convention, the Brighton World Fantasy in 2013, at the Solaris stand. And those people, I just told them I like Philip K. Dick and I like to read about the apocalypse. And they sold me 
three of the best books that I've read in a really long time. They're just, wow. they're really good salespeople. Go to their stand and let them choose books for you. <laughs> so I have to say, <laughs> if you ever have the chance. But so The Fictional Man, it's just one of those books where you're reading it and you're like, this was written for me. This was written for just all the things that I like. They're all in here. <laughs> you know, it was really self-conscious and like meta, but it was making fun of that and it was hilarious and it was science fictional and there was a little bit of that sort of reality mind bendy stuff and it made me laugh a lot. And there was this really, really weird, funny idea in it that instead of an SM uh like bondage sex scene, there was the, uh, there was like this meta sex thing where like the the dominant people were that played an author and the like submissive person played a character and they like had these really weird interactions and it was just like oh my god where did this guy think of this stuff but it's amazing and hilarious and so well done and i recommend that book to everyone Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show. On the website, cabbagesandkings.audio, there's a feedback form and also a page if you'd like to be on the show. Or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. I'm on Twitter at jsuttonmorse. The show is on Twitter at kingcabbagecast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, what I can do to make the show better. The website also has an occasional blog, my running tweets on books I'm reading, and importantly, a link to the RSS feed for this show, which you can also find on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.